1742. A Russian aristocrat and military engineer, fluent in Turkish and French, rises to prominence in the imperial court of Peter the Great. He has all the trappings of nobility, including a country house tended by 300 serfs. He's held in such high regard that the Tsar adopts him. He travels with his father's grand embassy in Europe. He meets philosopher Voltaire, who calls him a star of the Enlightenment. This great figure of Russian history's name is Ganibal. Charming, intelligent, and a man of extraordinary achievement. Oh, and also a black African. Welcome to Blind History with Gareth Cliff and Anthony Meterer, and we are here to give you a look into the interesting people from history. We try to choose a variety of people from all kinds of places, and this guy you discovered, um, Ant, you, you, you found a, a, a little article about him, and I mean, now I went down the rabbit hole, and this is what I love about doing this show, is I learn new things, even though I'm a history fan and I think I've read a lot of history books. You never know everything. No, you don't. This story is extraordinary. Imagine a black man from Cameroon, they reckon, ending up not only in the Russian nobility, but as the adopted son of the Tsar, commanding armies, and ultimately having a grandson who became the father of Russian literature. I mean, you'd think it was made up. Yeah, it was insane. The black yes. of Peter the Great. It was unbelievable. It was. It was just this story. When I read it the first time, it's just incredible. Eh? Rags to riches. Although he did come from nobility in Africa. Well, yes, but he was basically kidnapped by the slave trade. Yeah, and being the son of a sort of wealthy and well-known either aristocrat or, or, or king in Cameroon, he was taken on ships by the Barbary pirates, who were, you know, famous slavers of that period in the 1700s. And the biggest buyers of slaves at that time were the, the Muslim world and especially the Ottomans because they, they couldn't enslave Muslims. It was prohibited yeah. in their religion, but they could enslave pagans. And obviously, you know, all the, the people of Central Africa were pagans. They were, and, and, and his, his tribe was pagan. Yeah. So his name was Abram or Abram. Abram, yeah. Yeah, at the time. And then, you know, when, when he finally passed away, it was, Abram Petrovich Ganibal. And I think as we go through his story, I mean, the Petrovich and the Ganibal are so relevant. Petrovich, son of Peter. Yes. Which is Peter the Great. And then Ganibal, because Russians pronounce Hannibal as Ganibal. And the way he operated from a military perspective, they just likened him as the great Hannibal, and we've covered Hannibal in one of our other podcasts. I think he was taken out of Africa at the age of eight as a slave, and because he was a slave of noble origin, he was a particularly prized possession, and he was sent to the court of the Ottoman emperor. I think it was Mustafa, the then Ottoman sultan. Um, I've just come from Istanbul, and I saw the top Kapi Palace where Ganibal must have spent some time in his youth, um, and he obviously started off you know, cleaning things and and tidying up, but he became very good friends with the the Sultan's younger brother, who eventually became the Sultan mm -hmm. Ahmed. And with that closeness to power, he found himself often enveloped in all those crazy politics of the Ottoman court, which were, I mean, it was a really doggy dog world, and people were always vying for prominence. Mm -hmm. And he managed to 
learn Turkish during that time. He was and prolific with languages. He, he was he was clearly a very intelligent yes, guy. Yes, hundred percent. And from an early age, his intelligence seems to have have been obvious to people. So they 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 gave him a good education. He spent an enormous amount of time learning mathematics, geometry, military engineering became his forte later on. Um, and an amazing career ensued from that. But what's I think particularly interesting is this Russian connection mm. because while he was in Turkey in the Ottoman Empire in Istanbul, he was noticed by um, a Russian diplomat. And this Russian diplomat said, listen, when things start to go wrong here, as they always did at the Ottoman court, I'm going to get the czar, I'm going to get his permission, and I'll take you and a few of the other African slaves who we think are really, you know, not only brilliant, but also quite exotic and strange in a country like Russia, and we'll take you away. We'll spirit you away to freedom. You can come to Moscow. And they did. They released them into, mm. into freedom. They, they weren't slaves anymore there, but they were curiosities. The Russians have always kind of thought of, because it's so far away, mm. Africans as being, you know, very different people. There was, there was obviously a lot of prejudice. Yeah. They, were, they were the villains in all the stories. And they always thought they were almost like the bogeyman. Yeah. Just amazing because of the, all the big names in Russia are linked to Gannibal. We all know Leo Tolstoy. Mm-hmm. So his great-grandfather. Piotr. Uh, he was the one that actually facilitated all of this and took Abram Gannibal up to Peter the Great's court. Right. And you know, uh, Peter the Great as well, for all his, his craziness, he was progressive. And, you know, he was definitely trying to bring Russia into more European ways. And his feeling was, look, if this man is of a different color, different culture, we can prove he can fit in perfectly in anywhere in the world. Then people will start realizing that openness is the answer. And merit. I mean, yes. like he was, he was very against the idea of what was then the Russian aristocracy's way of doing things that you just inherited titles mm. and jobs and names and, you know, all of that was just in the blood. And what he was trying to say here very clearly is here, I'm going to bring this kid in from far away. He's completely foreign. He doesn't look like any of us. And I'm going to prove to you that him on his merits can get ahead, that I can make sure that if I give him the opportunities that all of you have, he will excel just as much. Mm. And he proved exactly that. Yeah. I mean, so Peter took a big liking to him, brought yeah. him into the household. He was baptized in 1706. Peter was his godfather. And it was personally significant to him because he used that date as his birthday mm. from then on. So he decided that was going to be his birthday. He didn't know the actual date of his birth from his origins in Africa. But Peter the Great, just a, a sad story. I mean, he, he loved the dwarfs. <laughs> and... <laughs> And uh, and his daughter got married to this lavish wedding, and his son-in-law died of alcohol poisoning on the way back home after the wedding. <laughs> talk about a bachelor's party. Yeah, so just we talk on the other side of <laughs> Peter the Great. And then he had a replica of his daughter's wedding with dwarfs a week later. So there was some crazy stuff. So he was enlightened, but also a bit of a nutter sometimes. <laughs> he received such an extensive education, and even while um, Peter was on his grand embassy across Europe, he, he dropped him off in France and left him in Paris for a while where he met Voltaire. Mm. Voltaire called him the dark star of Russia's enlightenment. I mean, really incredible how this guy's life intersected so unexpectedly with everyone else. And yet, I'm afraid if you ask 
most people who Gannibal was, they would have no idea. Exactly. His contribution to military engineering, the canals that he dug, mm. the forts he built, um, particularly in modern Estonia, where, you know, there are still projects that he supervised and, and came up with and facilitated that are still in operation mm. today. No, that's incredible. But the French connection was testimony to his character and personality. He joined the army. I mean, crazy in France. He just loved military, loved battles. And he, he was appointed a captain and it was the siege of uh, Saint Antonio, some, something to that effect. That was very he was a successful campaign at the mm. time. In the Pyrenees. But then he was uh, blown up to a certain extent. He got yeah, injured. He got, we get injured quite badly. Yeah, quite and they decided to put him in the infirmary. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And then he came back to Paris as a war hero. And that was his time and he'd learned a lot. And then when he went back to Russia, he had this massive welcome. So everybody loved him. He remained close to the Tsar right up to his death. But then unfortunately for him, his life took a bit of a turn for the worse mm. because there were some guys at court who did not like him. Um, most especially Menshikov, yeah. who, who was, you know, a typical conservative, didn't like anything foreign, thought that he was suspicious, uh, didn't trust him because he had a black skin. Mm. All of that prejudice came to the fore, and he exiled him to Siberia. Yeah, this was a very dark time for him. But he was he was on the border of, if you can imagine a map of Asia. I mean, this guy's come from Cameroon in the 1700s. Mm. He's gone all the way to Istanbul, then to Moscow, then to all of Western Europe. Now he finds himself on the borders of the known world. He never got down hard to look. I mean, we, we don't know, but uh, that was 300 years ago, whatever. But um, well, he didn't sit there and sink into a no, depression and do nothing. 100%. And ironically, Menshikov uh, ended up being banished to Siberia as well. So, yeah, a bit of poetic justice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So, but, but he did have a lot of that. He had great support with Peter the Great. And then when mm. Peter the Great passed away, there was the distrust and yeah. he was an outsider. And then later on, when Elizabeth passed away, well, the, the way the, they treated him. And the Russian aristocracy were kind of kind Yeah, of that's exactly. Yeah. But Elizabeth was also very fond of him because they'd kind of grown up together. Yeah, Peter's daughter, correct. That's yes. right. And she made him a major general. Um, she brought him back to court. So he was, wasn't banished to Siberia anymore. Um, he took on a number of wives during this time, not all at the same time, mm. but he had, I think, 10 kids Yes, and was given this beautiful manor, which re he retained, uh, with 300 serfs. Mm. Serfs were slaves. That's uh, a full circle. Eh? He, I mean, you know, he was from, a slave. Right, from slave to slave owner, Yeah, which is pretty amazing. And you know, he had a coat of arms, a rank in nobility. He was, he was actually regarded very highly ultimately towards the end of his life. But he could tell, like by the time Catherine the Great came along, that he was a bit of a leftover from a bygone era. Mm. He could tell that Peter was uh, long gone. People had forgotten about the, the amazing things that he'd done in his early career in Russia. And he sort of took the hint that he should mm. go and live quietly and enjoy the rest of his life. And he did yeah. quite some time on this you know, big farm that he'd been given with all his slaves and his kids and and uh, one of his grandchildren ended up being Pushkin. Correct, Count Pushkin. Count Pushkin, the famous Russian author. That he's called the father of Russian literature. Yeah. And it is, again, a full circle thing. You know, the Tolstoy who discovered him at the, at the court of the sultan, mm. right through to Pushkin, his own grandson, he, yeah. who was this brilliant writer. There's a little gap in between where um, it was the Seven-Year War. They brought him back because he was the go-to man. They brought him back to 
fix up the Russian military, which he did very, very well. And, um, he modernized and, it in some ways too, didn't he? Yes, he did. And then he started, he, he loved fireworks. So he could put on the most ah. incredible fireworks displays. And in this instance, he started working on making almost like rockets as we know them today from fireworks. In other words, using them in, in battle rather than just for a display for everybody's pleasure. And he worked on that. And then that, then that got negative again on him. And then he went back to his big, it's, it's amazing he was also known for these fireworks. I think when he took over as governor of Tallinn, which is in modern Estonia, he put on this big fireworks display. And just by doing that, the whole town, which thought he was suspicious and mm, odd. They swung, he swung them. <laughs> he 100% them swung. Listen, fireworks can do a lot. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, if you think about it, so he's <laughs> – everybody wants to have his plaque or his name somewhere. I mean, in, in Estonia and Tallinn, he's got a memorial of sorts there. I mean, there is as well in, in Russia. There was some confusion of where he was born, you know, Ethiopia or Cameroon. And in Ethiopia, they still got a street named after his great-grandson, Pushkin. But but generally, they, everybody wanted to be part of the story. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's amazing that there are still Russians running around. And, we, you know, we speak about black Russians in history, but we're not actually talking about the color of their skin. And here was this guy in one of the parts of the world that was not known for its tolerance or its progressive thoughts. And and this man managed to re- rise to the very top of Russian society, make an enormous difference to their military, mm. prove that you know brilliance in a in a military and in, and an academic sense can be attained by anyone from any background in any place. And really, for for a lot of people who were at that point still quite prejudiced, he was he was an example of why it was stupid to be like that. Yeah. And thanks to Peter the Great and to his tremendous abilities, I think it changed the opinion of so many people in Europe at an early stage. This yeah. is long before the abolition of slavery or, you know, Wilberforce coming mm. along or any of that stuff. So an incredible, you know, kind of persuasive force in, in Europe at that time. Agreed. And if you just look at, um, you mentioned a little bit earlier that he had 10 children. They all ended up in the aristocracy, as yes. you mentioned. And, you know, I mean, his eldest life. son was called Ivan. If that isn't Russian. Yeah, yeah know, exactly. You know? His descendants went into military. So they still had that background from their father or their grandfather. And Ivan, as you mentioned, became an accomplished officer. I think it was in the Ukraine. He became the second highest position you can attain in Russia, in, in, in the Navy. And then crazy stuff like, um, Many of the British aristocracy are descended from Gannibal. You know, um, mm-hmm. the Duchess of Westminster, Alexander, the Duchess of Abercorn, uh, mm-hmm. George Mountbatten. Right. So that's, uh, that's Prince Philip's family. And what you said a little bit earlier, uh, you know, a lot of us, we ha- I have to say myself included, didn't know Gannibal. Mm. And if you just read his story, it's, it's, it's insane. Well, I, I certainly hope that, you know, that, that we all have learned something interesting about this guy. I'm really pleased you found his name and decided that we should focus on him because, again, these are the those golden nuggets that you find every now and then in history because yeah. the obvious big names, everybody knows a little bit about them. Mm. But with someone like this, I had to, I had to read a lot mm. in order to inform myself on just the slightest thing because I knew nothing. But it is amazing, again – how these historical lives all intersect. Yeah, exactly. And in his case, to have been alive and to have borne witness to all of the things that were happening in Europe at that time, and frankly, in the Ottoman Empire, Mm. and even in Africa, what he could remember. There is still some debate about where exactly in Africa he comes from. 
because he had the idea that he was born of an Ethiopian noble family or royal family. Um, they've done some research. Modern historians have done some research, all kinds of comparisons. They figured out that he was probably born near Lake Chad mm. um, in Cameroon, modern yeah. Cameroon, um, and that that's the most likely possible place where he could have come from. So that's not Ethiopia, which was kind of involved in Europe. And also the Negroid look versus the Northern African look. So like a Hannibal for that matter. Right. Um, there's almost uh, Egyptian, European influence in it. And, and a lot of, I mean, you, you know, there's so much prejudice in those days. Sure. So to tell a story, they, they would want to make it more Ethiopia. Um, because to sanitize the, it a little to bit. Sa- exactly, to sanitize it. But he was it. a black man. <laughs> 100%. And, and, his, and his son, Ivan, looked like a black man. So it was, it was really for that time and place properly odd and yeah. extraordinary and exotic and weird for the Europeans. But this guy just never let that get him down. Mm. And none of it, even, you know, being exiled to Siberia, nothing got him down. He yeah. was there to win. It was a powerful, powerful, powerful character. And what I was learning more and more is, is although we often talk about a global village and we saw in the pandemic now, everybody's, you know, banding to get it globally, but the, the, the cultures are so different in Russia to China. To Western Europe, to even the UK is different to parts of Western Europe. The French are different to the Germans. What we think of these nations and people and cultures as being unidimensional, like they, they're very black or white, no mm. shades of gray. But his story to me just illustrates how at a time where we think history was very binary, mm. there was obviously a lot of stuff going on that wasn't as clear. I mean, you know, slavery, which will talk about in the next episode too because there was a guy who was very pro-slavery mm. in the next episode um slavery was just our way of life it wasn't a moral thing for people at that point mm. and you know it's easy to, to look at history and go villains and victors mm. but it, when you observe these things at close quarters it's not that it's simple not exactly and this family clearly you know illustrate that very well by the way his uh great-grandson, Alexander Pushkin, wrote the book, uh, which was The Moor of Peter the Great, but it was a little bit more than memoirs. Mm. It was a little bit um, of an honorific more mm. than anything else. It was it was meant to make his great-grandfather look yeah. good, and he worshipped the, the ground his great-grandfather walked on. So they've done a stage version of uh, his book, and there are, there are many other diaries that have been published recently about the life of Gannibal. I mean, an amazing, amazing story. Yeah, and I think it's quite nice. That's always what we set out to achieve is for people now to go dig a bit deeper mm. and, and to, to learn a little bit more about these people that we talk about. And this is just one of these that a lot of us don't know about, and it's been fantastic to learn more about him. So go and look him up. Gannibal. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to this episode of Blind History. Every episode is available on the Cliff Central app, cliffcentral.com or wherever you get your podcasts in the next episode his career was shaped there was a little bit of luck at least because his uncle was captain maurice suckling and he took him under his wing and he spent his teenage years first of all technically learning in the thames and then also just going out to sea so he spent his life on the sea 